Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Football Social Daily, Premier League Review. Hello, I hope you've had a good weekend. This is Football Social Daily from the Sports Social, your Premier League review show. Another weekend's Premier League action has been wrapped up. Well, not quite, because there's the small matter of the A23 derby on Monday night. Crystal Palace versus Brighton, the one that everyone's looking forward to. But we'll have to leave that to one side to begin with, because we're going to be talking about the games that have been and gone this weekend. Some interesting results, especially at the Emirates, where Arsenal were tonked 3-0 by Manchester City. A result which would please the man alongside me in the studio today. Ant McGinley, hello Ants. Hello, yeah, we've gone from the A23 derby to the unofficial Arabian Airline derby as well. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I'm Niall McCorn, just me and Ant in the studio today. Believe it or not, everyone else has bailed on us. I know. Too I'm... many mince pies and Christmas parties, I think. Don't worry, I've brought some of the Christmas spirit with us, so we can do that a little bit later. Okay. I kind of feel, though, because there's just two of us, like, I should come in a little bit closer and just speak a bit more <laughs> I like it I like it do you know what though it's funny you say bringing the Christmas spirit to, to the podcast because on TV yesterday before the Liverpool versus Watford game Peter Crouch and Joe Cole were speaking about footballers having their Christmas parties and Harry Redknapp was one that famously never used, never used to like footballers having Christmas parties what's your take on this whole thing because we often say footballers, they've got a privileged lifestyle where they get paid loads of money and they get to kick balls around and it's like every guy's dream to be a footballer or, you know, that's what the old cliche goes. What's your thoughts on footballers having Christmas parties at this time of year? Because the fixtures stack up so quick. Yeah, well, that's the, fir- the first place to go to, obviously being a City fan, is we've got eight games in December. I think Liverpool have got the same on two continents as well. And so when is the time? When is the time to have a party? Unless there is something that when you earn a certain amount of money, there's there's products out there that you can buy which instantly write you. You know, like, for example, like, I used to work in a job with some medics, and I won't say where the job was, but what they used to do was they would come in very early after a big night the night before, and the first thing they would do is hook themselves up to a drip. Wow. And then 15 minutes later, they would be rehydrated. They would be... So the, the hangover was gone. Now, I know you can't do that in football because what happened to Sameh Nasri? Yes, right? drip doctor, so, yes. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know, but maybe there is something that you can go out and you can party. I mean, we saw like, last Sunday was Raheem Sterling turned 25. He had that big party. We saw the photos and press on social media. I, I don't know if they were drinking or whatever, but... You know, that I think it's important to have that. It's important to socialise and wind down. Yeah, there's a lot of testosterone in a dressing room, isn't there? So I guess you kind of you need to let that out. And sometimes, I guess, on the football pitch when it's once a week isn't always going to do the job for you. Well, I mean, as as we saw, I mean, speaking of Sterling again, you know, he went from a couple of weeks ago in the game against Liverpool, a few days later at the England camp, and there was a the bit of a hoo-ha there. So things carry on, carry over. So you need something to, to let off steam. I think we all need that, whatever yeah. we do, let whatever job steam. is. Yeah, and so you, whether that's you, you go to the pub, you go around your mates, you watch a movie, you hit the gym, you just spend time with your kids, whatever it is, I think you need a balance in your life. Mm. And and I, I don't I think we sometimes forget, and we're, we're both guilty of this, is when we're talking about footballers, we forget that they're human beings. Yeah, OK. Well, let's run down quickly what's on the podcast today. Liverpool extend their lead at the top of the Premier League table. If you haven't seen 
the table uh, still looks very convincing in Liverpool's favour. Newcastle United were beaten by Burnley. Bournemouth got a vital win over Chelsea. Frank Lampard wobbling a little bit at Stamford Bridge. Leicester's winning run was ended by Norwich. They desperately needed some points. So do Aston Villa. They lost 2-0 to Sheffield United. West Ham finally got a victory, seeing off Southampton. Manchester United and Everton shared the spoils. Spurs nicked a late winner against Wolves. And where we're starting is down at the Emirates, where Arsenal lost 3-0 to a scintillating Manchester City, who looked in the mood. And when they play like that, the way that we know they can, you think... How are they 14 points behind Liverpool? Because the way that they played against Arsenal, Kevin De Bruyne was like a man possessed. Is that really frustrating as a City fan to see that and think, ah, we can be that good against the team, albeit in dire straits in Arsenal, but we've not been doing it often enough. It's so frustrating, I imagine. I, I think it's a little bit like some kind of meme because it's almost based on last season. Liverpool have gone, hold my beer. Right. Yeah, <laughs> just yes, kind of yes. gone on and, and taking it to the next level. And actually, if you look at the points, um, Leicester are still doing far better at this stage than they were the year they won the league. Mm. And I think at this stage as well, the points that City have accumulated, even though we're sitting in third, so many points behind, it would still be good enough position to win the Premier League, I think, in 80% of the seasons that we've had. So I, th- I think there is this element of we're in a very special time of two great teams and potentially a third in Leicester City as well who are flying. And I mean, Rodgers has, has, has done a lot to take the pressure off. We'll talk about that in a little bit. In terms of frustration, I don't know watching the game today. I don't know if there was a little bit of the shackles have come off or maybe like we've we've had a lot of our injuries out of the way now because actually we're in a stage now. Bear in mind, we've had that win today. There's no Aguero. Aguero's still out. True. Um Laporte's still out. True. It's the first clean sheet we've had in 11 games, something ridiculous like that. Um, Zinchenko just came back for the first time um, this week. Uh, Mendy's still coming back to fitness. Foden got a start as well against Arsenal, which is positive. Yeah, and he looked great as well. And bear in mind, there's been a lot of talk about him being the natural successor to David Silva. This is Silva's last season with us. Uh, it was a perfect opportunity because Silva was out. Um a little disappointed, I've got to say, that he took him off after 56 minutes. But then we've got Oxford in the Carabao Cup on Wednesday. Ooh, so he's pretty Oxford. much guaranteed. No, but the, I think traditionally he's pretty much guaranteed and uh, to, to be in that. And um, yeah, I, I, I think it's coming together. I think, honestly, I think it's gone. I, 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 I do think, too. I think it's gone. And I, th- there's two things that are going to happen, basically. If, um, if Liverpool lose it from here... It'd be the worst it's bottle tr- job in history. It's not. It's not. Can you imagine how traumatic? That's just dropping the ball massively. It'd be the worst um, capitulation in the history of the Premier League. I, th- I, I think, and I think they know that as well, Liverpool fans. Yeah, I, th- I think for City, all we all we can do is just go out and, uh, and, and play really well the rest of the season. And so now Champions League has to be focused. Do you think? I mean, obviously you're not going to throw league games. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, you're but, not. But, you're going to try and win every league game. Of course you are. Yeah. There's always a chance that Liverpool could capitulate. I don't think they will, but. Is the focus now shifted for Manchester City? They know the Premier League title's gone. I think the thing is, we last season, we just brought in the one player in Maris, and that was just enough to tweak it and move things forward. Whereas you look at how Liverpool uh, built on, on, on the back of last season, they brought other things in, players they've developed, Oxley chamberlain come back from injury, mm. Lallana's back in, champion at the bit to get in there as well. Mm. Uh, Origi's just been a, a revelation in terms of like... When he comes uh, on, when he comes on goal, at the yeah. end, yeah. Mm. Um, so... I I think the thing is, really, if we're completely honest with ourselves as football fans, you can't be realistic, right? It's because you've <laughs> got to go like we want to win everything, you know. I so I'm gutted that we uh, we got knocked out of the Champions League last season. I'm gutted that we lost against United last week in the derby. You know, I'm gutted that Laporte's been out for so long. I'm gutted that Aguero's gone. But at the same time, I still recognise that we've got such a great squad of players, such a great team. There's moments today watching that game and I just watched in the highlights again going back over those goals of De Bruyne's and that should have been a hat-trick and what an amazing hat-trick because for a long time I've been worried that we're only scoring goals in the six-yard box and then De Bruyne pops up and reminds just us unbelievable oh, and, it, it, when he's on it he's just the best and the, the thing with De Bruyne as well is like for me to hit a ball like that not only would I have to do it like 300 times to, to get it like the way he was there would be so much concentration focus stiffness, awkwardness in my body to be able to hit the ball that way. He just touches it. The, the, both goals and the shot that hit the bar, 
it's I, I've talked about him before the way he plays. He, he does this kind of no look pass. It's like his mm. computer knows where people are. He's knows like the a space snooker player, go isn't he? He's like three steps ahead of everyone else. You know when snooker players and they're lining up the reds and they know yeah. where the white ball is going to be for the next shot. He's like that in football terms. See, a lot of people compared David Beckham to a quarterback when he was at his height. Now mm. I didn't see enough of Beckham playing personally. I I, I saw him. Brilliant. One of my favourite memories in football was seeing him score against Ecuador in the World Cup. I was in the stadium in Stuttgart. But I, I wondered if at the time that comparison was made just because the MLS was launching and they wanted to get that back in. Whereas having played American football myself and understanding how that works and they run patterns and players move in set areas, it's almost as if De Bruyne, the way he passes the ball and, and, and he feeds the ball around, he knows where people are going to run. Um Maybe that's part of Guardiola's system that really suits him as well. I'm not sure. Um, I'm just really pleased we put in a really good performance today because there's been so much talk this week about is this the end of Guardiola? Is he, does <laughs> is he, he off in the is summer? Is he gone yeah. in the sure. summer? And you know what? I'll be completely honest, right? Go on. I would be gutted, but he could go tomorrow and I would still love him. I would still, because of what he's done, what he's achieved since he's been at the club and what he's brought in terms of the style and the enjoyment of watching the game. Is that a fear factor, though, for City fans, knowing that when Pep leaves, who does replace him? And they say Arteta, don't they? Is like the perfect heir to succeed Guardiola. But are there concerns amongst City fans that there is going to be a, a continuation of the style of play and the, and the form that City have shown in the last two seasons, three seasons, with Arteta at the helm? I think plans are plans. And they're very good on paper, but they don't always work out. For a long time... Vieira was the one that they picked out that they were moved. They moved him to New York City. Now, obviously, he's gone to Nice. Nice in yeah, France. And yeah. he, he, he did a great first season there, not doing so good this season. Um, I think a lot of it, we, we, you could have predicted that Wenger was going to go at some point. And obviously, Arteta was in the mix for that for the job at that point as well. Mm. I don't think anybody predicted Emery going as quickly. And with his links there, Arteta's back in with that. And that just goes to show you that so much of it is timing and other things that happen and, and move around. Should we get an Arsenal perspective then? Yes, let's do that. Let's speak to Matt. Yeah, so we have got Matt on the line. He's the author of We've Only Got One Song, which is a new Arsenal book. And it's actually quite a tongue-in-cheek name for the book because I think, Matt, you said there's 425 different Arsenal songs in your book? There are. Hey, guys, how you doing? Good, man. Yeah. Very good. Are, they, are these cool. songs, do they, do they come with just the words? Or have you got the music in there as well? <laughs> the piano accompaniments? It's like a CD when you get the lyrics in the booklet. <laughs> Good point, guys, because you have to put... It's, whenever we've got the chance, we put um, below the song or the chant, we, we put the uh, what it's to the tune of. For example, the actual <laughs> song itself is We've Only Got One Song. That was about Alex's song, The Midfielder. Ah. And so below, yeah, that's why it's called that. That's why the book's called Amazing, that. Amazing, that is. Uh, under the under under that ch- under that chant, we have in brackets "Blue Moon." It's to the tune of Blue Moon. You know, one song. Yeah, yeah. We've only oh, got, got one. So. Ah. That was the biggest challenge of the book. Is finding all the um, all the names of the, all the songs that that it rhymes to, and we that we've, we've we've come across one or two instances where we where we actually um, uh, we, we miss those out. Do you know that Ubi Aguna? Yes, the chant, the famous one. Yeah, we we just thought that was a generic chant, but there's actually a, a dodgy '70s pop song. <laughs> <laughs> Which we've just been made, made aware of. So we go back, we, you know, we talk about this. Most of the songs are from the old days because these days we only know one song. <laughs> I'll talk about those inside the Emirates because there wasn't loads. And obviously after going down 3-0 right. pretty early on, um, uh, there were a fair few empty seats. But of the 425, yeah. and don't worry because I do have a bleep machine, what's your favourite? Oh, that's a, oh, that's a good question. My favourite uh, uh, is the first ever Arsenal song that ever got uh, noted down in any kind of newspaper article or anything like that. So we go back to the Woolwich Arsenal days when we were in South London, 1892, and it's a musical to the to the musical song Tarara Bundie, the Tarara Bundie, the Arsenal one today. So that's our first ever Arsenal song that ever got noted down. So that's my that's my favourite one. Wow! And and uh, yeah. Tyson runs from Davis. But, uh, <laughs> the, you're, you're, a lot of your older viewers remember Paul Davis knocked out Glenn Cockrell on the on the uh, on the centre circle once uh, in, back in 88-89 <laughs> and there was a real, real controversial incident. Um, 
so we had all these chants going around. You know, you know, Tyson runs from Davis. Obviously, Mike Tyson, heavyweight champion of the world. Mm. But and I love the yeah. I mean, most of the the, the, the variety of songs in those days was fantastic. And uh, obviously, uh, we don't get that in any stadium really in, in, anymore. I think there's one or two decent crowds out there. Maybe Palace, Crystal Palace, perhaps. Mm. But I think. Um, it, you don't get the same variety of banter and songs as as, as 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 what you used to get. Talking of knocking people out, I imagine you might have similar feelings towards uh, those at the top table at Arsenal at this moment in time. The club just mm. feels so disjointed, doesn't it, Matt? Do, do you know it, any it, reason yeah, why that might be? What's your sort of theory on this? Well, I, I, run, I run a business. I run my own business, OK? And... Um, you know, not a bit. I run a little small business, and it, I think it's the same principle. If you run a small business or a massive business, if the person who runs it, if the person who owns it, does not care, then it trickles down to everybody else, and that's what happens. That's what's clearly going on at Arsenal. The, uh, Stan Kroenke does very evidently not care about Arsenal. He could not care less. He's shown that in so many... He, do, he couldn't even be bothered to turn up to the Europa League final against Chelsea uh, back in... That was back in May. Now, I mean, if, if your owner doesn't even bother turning up to the European final, that clearly shows... I mean, he's never... He never goes to any games, maybe one or two games a year when it's the... Um, the board meeting, and he said he's, he's over there anyway. The AGM, he has to be there. Um, he clearly doesn't care. Now, I, I think that trickles down to it to everybody else. The man, he has no vision about about the club. Um, the more you know about Kronke, the more you dislike him as an individual. He's not a, he's not a particularly pleasant individual. If you look at the way he runs his businesses, like Walmart and and Asda, you look at the way he treats his workers and stuff and, and things like that. But I then, mean, but then at, the, at the same time, Matt, th- those are companies and businesses that have had massive success and have gone worldwide. So you know, there is a the mm. potential for you know, especially football being a global be sport and, and the Premier League as well. It, you know, it yeah. could take a long time and it could take 10, 15 years. But then. You know, one day Arsenal could be at that kind of level. But he's already had about that that, that amount of time, man. He's, and and the club has gone got worse in that time. If you look, I think he's been there in the region of ten, ten at least ten years. Uh, Stan Kroenke has been there. The club has got worse every single year. Um, the team is as, as bad now as I've, as I as I've ever seen. I've been going to games since 1986. This is easily the worst Arsenal team that I've ever seen. I mean, even when we finished really low back in '95, uh, we finished quite low that year. We still had a good defence. We still got to a European final in the same in the same year. Mm. Um, Stan Kroenke, you know, he's tight. You know, you, you, Walmart's a success because it's very tight. He doesn't pay his workers very well. The same with, you know, as I was in this country, those things are, he's, he's, do, do you see what I'm saying? He's, I mean, you have I mean, to care about something to make it good. I yeah, I think, I think though, by comparison, I think the likes of Pepe and Aubameyang are doing all right in terms of how much mm. they're getting paid. Ozil, 300 grand a week. He's still there. Yeah, that's a bad move. He's not. He's not worth that. He's, he, he's not justifying that three hundred fifty grand a week. And the only reason he got that is because they let him run his contract down. Now, I think that Aubameyang's contract is down to eighteen months, and I think Lacazette's is down to eighteen months. So again, it's, Arsenal keep on doing this. It's just ridiculous. It's, it's got to be by design. There's no. You can't keep on making those mistakes where a players' contracts run mm. down. I think one of them will go. I mean, if you're Aubameyang or Lacazette, those are two world-class players. Is that going? Is, is that if they t- if those two do go, for example, Matt? Does that yeah. then have a detrimental effect on the quality of manager that you could bring in? Like, for instance, Leonberg's obviously in caretaker charge at the moment, yeah. but there are some pretty good options available out there at the moment. And I think Arsenal yeah. really need to get this next appointment right because the whole Emery thing was a bit of a disaster. So, do you yeah. think that you know if a new manager comes in, the first thing he'll be saying is, right, we need to get these best players tied down because otherwise it's going to be even more of a struggle. No doubt, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. And then you also want to say, well, this team is clearly not good enough. What, what, what money do I have to make this, to make this better? And I, that's why I'm not. I mean, there's so many good managers out there. If Arsenal don't get this right, again, it's just further proof that. Um, yeah, they really lack in ambition. I mean, there's so many good, there's so many good managers out there, and I the one I'm worried about Arteta. I don't want Arteta. I don't know how you guys feel that about Man City fans, and I've nothing against Arteta, but the man's never managed. He's, there's no proven history of him managing a football club, and for a club like Arsenal to be uh, going on, I don't know if they are or not, but I think uh, that's not an appointment I think would be a good one. I think Arsenal should be going. Try, you know, trying to get the likes of Allegri, trying to get the likes of Simeone, perhaps Carlo, Ange- uh, Carlo Ancelotti, 
Um, and I, the one I wanted from two years ago, when, just before we got Emery, was from Chelsea. Conte had just yeah. was just on the verge of leaving Chelsea, and everyone knew that he was going to leave Chelsea. I thought that would have been a, a fantastic appointment if Arsenal uh, were to have got him. I really think Conte was someone who could could take Arsenal forward. Mm, okay, so Matt. It's been, Matt, it's been great to chat to you, mate. Um, best of luck with the book. Thanks. Where can people Where can people get it, and um, where can they find you on Twitter as well? At Matthew Bazell, with a yeah, B A Z E W L, and um, we've we've only got one song. It's available from Legends Publishing. Um, it is available from Amazon uh, as well, and uh, it's available from any bookshop. Uh, it could be ordered from any bookshop. But if anyone's listening and is in London, in London, you can pick it up uh, on the shelves of Foils, the famous Foils of Charing Cross Road. There are, copy, there are copies on the shelves there. Well, have a good Christmas, and hopefully Arsenal don't spoil it too much for you, Matt. They've already have done, so don't <laughs> worry about that. I'm not. I'm not going to allow them to. You have to with, with Arsenal now. You just have to say we're not good enough. We're not going to do much, and we have to. And if you do, the hope will kill you. So I'm not that disappointed tonight because I don't expect too much more than that. Top man, great to chat to you, Matt. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Cheers. That's uh, Matt, the author of "We've Only Got One Song." Well, Arsenal have got no songs now because Alex Song's gone. He's long yeah, gone. Years we, ago. And right now, we've only got one other person to speak to right now because everyone else is hungry. Everyone's from abandoned Christmas party. us abandoned us but like you said and you're bringing some of the christmas spirit to the studio and we'll uh we'll get a little bit christmasy later on in the podcast but first i want to talk about manchester united against everton which is another one of the games that happened on sunday this felt like a missed opportunity for manchester united against an everton side that have been rejuvenated under duncan ferguson they beat chelsea last week a great win for them but they're there for the take in everton and manchester united have sort of turned a corner a little bit maybe one one was the most obvious result for it to be, but certainly those outside Old Trafford after the game on Sunday were a little bit like, ah, well, we've missed one there. We could really have picked up three points against Everton. I mean, a couple of things on this. First of all, I think given the bad patch that United were going through not so long ago, this would have been seen as an okay result. Yeah. I think Uh, also as well, um, there's going to be a certain Marco Silva somewhere, like just pulling his hair out right now going, how the hell have you got those guys to do what you did last week and this week. And Duncan Ferguson's just going, this uh, Premier League management likes easy. Probably by being big, scary and Scottish is I the mean, way that I think it's like, Yes, it's only a point, but when you look at Everton's record at Manchester United, I think is that's only the, the second draw they've had in, in a couple yeah, of years. I think that's their sixth draw in 30 years at Old Trafford. <sighs> and they've only won twice in that time. So Duncan Ferguson after the game was absolutely buzzing. There was one moment, though, he subbed on Moyes Keane in the 70th minute and then in the 89th minute, just 19 minutes later, he subbed him back off again. And the poor young Italian looked so bewildered at what had happened. Duncan Ferguson didn't even look at him as he took him off. And the tunnel at Old Trafford is in the corner of the stadium. It's not right behind the dugout. So Moyes Keane has been subbed off after being subbed on in front of 75,000 people at Old Trafford on a live TV game where there would have been millions of people watching. Yeah. And he's had to traipse down the touchline, half the length of the pitch, and down the tunnel at Old Trafford. This is a kid who's already devoid of confidence. Duncan Ferguson doesn't even shake his hand or explain to him why he's taken him off. He just blanks him and sends him off on his way down the tunnel. I was absolutely stunned when I saw that. First of all, unless there's an injury or a penalty or something tactical where they suddenly, you know, lob it up to the big guy, I think any substitution in the last two minutes of normal time and anything in injury time, it doesn't count for me. You know, if you're saying to me, you made 12 Premier League appearances and they were all after the 89th minute, I, I don't care about that. So, however, I understand what you're saying about taking off. And it would be a bit like now... Like, I, I, I've actually come in here today covering for Steve, and a bit like in the last five minutes of the show, if you just went, uh, thanks, Ant, get out. <laughs> Somebody else comes in. Um, I won't be doing that, because it'll just be me on my no, own. No, I, I heard Ferguson talk about this. He said it was a ta- He said it was a tactical thing and nothing against how he was playing, but surely you just put your arm around the kid and explain to him that when he comes off. Don't just ignore him. That's, I mean, I'm, who am I to say about what Duncan Ferguson's style of management is? I'm not yeah. a Premier League manager. He's got two games more experience than I have. But... I just thought it was really odd. I mean, it happens. I mean, the, the only the only other time, and it wasn't quite as long as this, that, that I can remember, and I'm sure it's happened before, but the only other time I remember that is when George Weyer's cousin <laughs> came on for Southampton, right? Yes. Uh, was it when Graham Sooness was in charge? Yes, it was, yeah. yeah. And he, he basically, they were having a real injury crisis, and he gets a phone call from 
George Wayer, and I'm cousin, doing the little yeah, fingers. Yeah. And saying his cousin's in town, literally didn't have a time to look at him, just got him signed because he was George Wayer's cousin. George Wayer said he was great, uh, or at least the person that sounded like George Wayer on the phone. And they brought him on in like the 60th minute or something. And he was off by five minutes later, yeah. I think. So, yeah, that, it's one of those but things. Moise, Moise but Moise Keane is a genuine a, talent. A great football player, young football player. You know, he's got a lot ahead of him. I think he'll be off to Italy now in January after that. I think that's the final straw at Everton Football Club. And the, the thing is, I know what you're saying. In the 89th minute, 90th minute, these subs don't really mean as much. But the fact that he was replaced by Umar Nias, who hasn't played for Everton since last December, a whole year... That speaks volumes to me. So I was a bit stunned at that. If you're on Twitter, let us know at the Sports Social what you think about the whole Moyes Keane, Duncan Ferguson substitution situation. I wouldn't be arguing with Big Dunk, that's for sure. I'd, lo- I'd love it if we got a tweet from uh, Moyes Keane, just going, just a lot of random letters, frustrated yeah. face. Angry emoji. Yeah, <laughs> certainly I'd be posting an angry emoji if I was Moyes Keane. As for Manchester United, 4,000th game where they've had an academy graduate in the squad which is just an incredible achievement. And one of their academy graduates, Mason Greenwood, scored again. He's now scored in every competition he's played in for United this season. He scored two brilliant goals in the Europa League on Thursday against Alkmaar. And he basically rescued a point for Manchester United with another good shot from outside of the box, which you said actually reminded you of Martial's goal for United. Yeah, it, it was almost identical to the, 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 the winner in the derby that Martial scored uh, in, in terms of its placement and the angle that it came from as well. Um I have a question about the academy. I mean, that sounds really impressive. And it is impressive. And it's great that we have these academies bringing people through. But the question is, if the academy is that good, why are they still spending... I mean, if, if I'm right in thinking, almost every season they've spent like mm. 70, 80 million on, on at least one player right. c- coming in. So you had, you know, going back a few years, you had Di Maria, you've had Maguire, you had Pogba. And they've had these big marquee signings come in. And... If they've got this academy, they've got this such a strong academy. We always talk about like with the England national team, we need to copy the likes of Germany mm. and sort of bring it through from the youth and build it up. It, it just seems that it's like, I don't know, it's it's not always happening. Maybe that's because of the different managers that are in. I know Mourinho was criticised heavily when he was there at United, but everyone talks about the class of '92, which we can't deny were, were amazing and proved everybody wrong, but. It's still the class of 92, which yeah. is a long time, time ago, ago. Do you think it's just to do with bleeding players in? Because it's such a big risk to kind of chuck a youngster in at Manchester United unless you have full faith in them. There's so much on the line, even more so now that Manchester United aren't as good as they once were. Well, interesting, because we just talked about City. We mentioned Phil Foden, only got 56 minutes. You'll struggle to find anybody that Guardiola speaks higher about possibly even his wife and his children. He says he's one of the best young players he's ever worked with, yet he never gives him a chance. And I think that's what's confusing people. But then maybe there's a thing of like, he's going to give him more longevity in his career. He's given him time to learn, to adopt. And And let's let's be honest, like a lot of the the times that you learn just in life in generally is not when people sit you down and go, now look here, learn this bit. It's just by being around people and absorbing from those. Mm. And you look at the people that Foden is around, and he's protected by them in a way as well, because at the minute, like, he's coming on. I mean, he, he plays. I've not seen him have a bad game. I've not seen him have a bad game. And I, the, do, I the, would agree with that. Right. I, I haven't seen him play badly for Manchester City. Yeah. Before. Now, a lot of people come back and say, but you haven't seen him play a lot, which which is true. And that's protecting that season him through. He's building up his talent. He's building up his physique. He's building up his skills. And he's building up his confidence and his connection with the team. And now sooner or later, he will have a bad game. But if he is going to be this replacement for, for David Silver, he needs to play more games, surely. That would be my argument for Phil Foden. Anyway, we could talk about Phil Foden all night. I want to talk about Chelsea versus Bournemouth. Manchester United, Everton finished one apiece, by the way. Uh, Chelsea versus Bournemouth, though, didn't it? Finished Chelsea nil, Bournemouth won. Did not see this coming. Not a lot of people did, to be honest, Dan. Bournemouth are in bad form. They had lost five on the spin before this one. Eddie Howe knew that he needed a result. And I think this is why Bournemouth will be safe from relegation. They've got a little bit of steel about them in terms of just the desire, the the want to win games. There's a little bit of grit there, not in terms of the players they've got, because a lot of them are quite elegant, attractive footballers. I just mean in terms of the team spirit that they've got there. They've got bags of team spirit, basically. Chelsea, Frank Lampard always said that the test would start when they kept losing games. And this is exactly what's happening um, they obviously beat Lille in the Champions League in midweek, which is, is good for them. They're through to the knockout stages. But in the Premier League, their form's certainly taken a dip. And what looked like an obvious top four place 
a couple of weeks ago is now starting to falter a little bit. Well, that was it. Just two weeks ago, we were talking about the transfer ban being lifted and actually with all the youth that they've got, you know, would they even go out and spend any money because they didn't need to because everything seemed fine. Actually, now you're kind of going, all right, there are some holes in that squad. Yeah. There are some places where you could do with a little bit of support and, and resistance. But at the same time, everybody's learning. Lampard's learning, mm. right? Lampard's learning as a manager in the Premier League for the first time. Um, some of these players have have come through. They've got a lot of... I mean, Tammy Abraham, I think, before he even kicked a ball this season, he'd already played 104 games, something ridiculous like that, at a professional level. So they, they've got experience, even though they've been out on loan, some of them are playing big games in front of big crowds. But this is them all together as a team. They've all been Chelsea players for a long time together, but this is the first time they're coming together and playing. Um, they've got Spurs and Jose Mourinho soon, Chelsea. It's not a good time to hit a bad patch of form when you've got one of your old managers coming back to his uh, old stomping ground. To be to be honest, the way Mourinho's going, that's going to be half the fixtures. <laughs> yeah, well, goodness me. I, I think, yeah, we all know Jose Mourinho's box office and we'll talk about Spurs a little bit later on in the podcast. But for Bournemouth, a crucial, crucial victory. They need that, especially with Aston Villa losing to Sheffield United, Southampton losing uh, to West Ham, which probably isn't a great result for Bournemouth either way, to be honest. But um, they really needed that and... Uh, it's hard when you start getting a losing run to stop that rot, but they managed to do it against a side that many thought would, would put them to the sword. Yeah, I mean, we're just two two games away from the midpoint of the season. I know, that, yeah. That's what we're looking at. And at the minute, they're sitting in 14th, um, which isn't great, uh, but they're just four points ahead of the relegation zone. But that's Bournemouth, isn't it? That's what we've come to expect from them. You know, they're, they're <laughs> always. I always tip them to go down every season and they always stay up. Um, but they Which always, is why you're always skint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, they're always there. You know, they're always there or thereabouts in the mid-table regions. They don't, they're never breathtaking. The, the thing they're, was, never, they're never terrible. The, they're the, just the, Bournemouth. They're only the same, you could argue. There's such great talent, though. Was, was it this time last season they were talking about Wilson possibly going to Chelsea for yeah. 30, 40, 50 mm. million because yeah. of the goals that you... And I think... Uh, the, Five, six, seven games into the season, he was the leading scorer. That was um, really dropped off, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, he, he's had a couple of injuries here and there. So, um, I don't know. I mean, the, the, there's there's great talent in the Bournemouth squad. There's great talent in the manager. And again, he's one of the names that's been linked to the Arsenal job. Sure. I, I don't think he'll get that. I don't think he'll get that simply because there is this thing at the minute about we need a proven manager. We need a manager that's proven to win stuff. Someone that knows Arsenal. That annoys me. Just get who's best for the job. Why does it have to be someone who knows the club? I, I don't understand this whole... You just want someone who is going to win you football matches and get you back to where you need to be. Why does it matter if they understand the club? I think this is just some clamour and this fashionable thing that's crept into football in but recent then, years. But then let's look at Bournemouth, really, when you look at it. Actually, all right, it's a bit scary where they're at the minute. They're teetering. But... It's an example of a, a, a club that have done things in a really good way. Like, it's not that long ago, they were a couple of leagues down. They've, they've come back up, they've come through it, and they've held their place in the Premier League. Yeah. And they've held it's commendable, it. isn't it? Yeah, it's commendable, it's comfortable. And they've, they've, they've also had faith. I think Eddie Howe's the longest serving manager in the Premier League. Yeah, the I mean, bar for a, a, a sort of horror six months he had at Burnley in between his two Bournemouth stints, he's been there absolutely years. I think so, seven years now he's been there. He's been there longer than that. So so the thing is, like, we're looking at this, and obviously it's mid-season, all those things, but I, I think it, I think as a Bournemouth fan, obviously you're going to want more. You're going to... You're well, just... What's the next step for them, I think, is the question that maybe we, we should be asking. Well, what... I, I think a lot of them would say, as much as you get attached to it, from different angles that you look at it, you would want a slightly bigger stadium. You know that 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 would be that would be a lot of a lot of what people would say about Bournemouth. I don't know if that's that's outside the club rather than in the club. I mean, I've been to the stadium. They are a it's small club. Bournemouth. Yeah, they are. They but I like that. I like that. That's kind of like they're not their USP, but certainly being a club on the south coast where it sounds so cliche, cliche belt. The climate's better. It's an attractive prospect. It's not that far from London, really. There's a beach. There's a beach. You've got sandbanks. There's an airport. There's two airports nearby. You can get back to where you need to go. I don't know. I just think it's an attractive proposition and the wages are pretty competitive as well, I think. Cheap so, flights to Ibiza. Cheap flights to Ibiza. Would you not want anything better than that? I know exactly where I would want to play my football if I was a Premier League player. Uh, Chelsea might well be one of those teams as well because they, um, I'm sure, are not short of a few quid. Uh, although we don't really see Abramovich at Chelsea games anymore. 
I, will there be concern over Frank Lampard at this moment in time? Because he's not really been through a patch like this as a manager. Not for Derby and now not for Chelsea. Keeps losing games and that will be a concern. I mean, look, that's like, he's lost two in a row, four of the last five, right? Not great. But they're still sitting in fourth. Still sitting in fourth in your first season as a Premier League manager at the midpoint of the season. Is that not just because everyone else has been crap, though? Arsenal has not been good. Manchester United haven't been as good as they should be. You know, Leicester are a surprise package in the top four. Let's talk about Leicester then, because Leicester drew 1-1 with Norwich. And so will Chelsea be looking at Leicester thinking we can catch you? But they would have done if they hadn't have lost four out of the last five, as they say. Leicester, their winning run came to an end at the hands of Norwich. Um, But again, they're another side, like you say, with two games from the midpoint of the season. And you can't help but think they're going to finish top four. They've just done so well. They, I, I love Leicester. I mean, I, I, I spent four or five years living in the city when I was a student. Uh, that was the days of Martin O'Neill. And, you know, the, there was something very special there because it's a, it's a one-club city. Sure. That's why, and you had that whole thing of when it, whenever there was a game on, you felt it, you know, and it felt like the whole city were walking to the ground mm. and everybody had their shirt on. And um, I, I think one of my favourite favorite footballing memories of this decade is... Leicester City in the Champions League, like, and I'd, I'd put that up there. Them winning the league and 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 the Champions League campaign that they had, I'd put that in the same sort of ballpark as the Aguero okay, moment. Here's what here's one for you then. Over Christmas, here on the Sports <sighs> do Social, we're doing a, a special awards <clears throat> podcast. Right. Over the last ten years of the Premier League, what awards uh, are we going to hand out? Probably a few. You'll keep an eye on our Twitter at the Sports Social, I'm sure, if you're listening in, and you'll be able to add some sort of contributions to nominations. But if I was to say to you, over the last 10 years, what's the greatest moment in the Premier League? Is it Aguero scoring the goal for Manchester City, the team you support, to win the league in the dying seconds? Etihad erupts, Manchester United, the bitter rivals, pipped at the post, the most iconic goal perhaps in Premier League history. Or is it Leicester City, a team that nobody thought would ever win the Premier League, winning the Premier League against all odds? What is the most iconic, greatest achievement of the last 10 years? Trying to be objective, which is a very difficult thing to be in this situation. I would say only because, only because Leicester didn't win it on the pitch. They won it because uh, of the result of a game that was happening when they weren't playing. And I think that... So there was there wasn't one moment where everyone was together and had that thing, which is what you had with the Aguero moment. That's an extremely apt answer. I think that's a brilliant answer, to be honest. Because I, I would have gone, I think I would have gone Aguero. I think so. But that's a really good answer because I think you're right. Like that moment of them all realizing they've done it happened in Christian Fuchs's front room or something yeah. like that. Didn't and it? we weren't there. No, exactly. we weren't there. We, we weren't didn't there get to, see to experience it. And, that. And, and that's the thing. If you switched it around and you had that moment and it was on the pitch and it was a Jamie Vardy goal that sealed it for them. That, and that would have been streamed worldwide. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. yeah, that would have eclipsed the Guerrero, which is something that may never happen, but, yeah. Okay. What about the result then? 1-1 with Norwich. Timu Puki scored for Norwich. He's finding the goals again. He needs to do that if Norwich are going to stay up. It feels like, even though there's half a season left, it still feels like do or die for Norwich. They need to start winning games. They'll take a point against Leicester. I mean, they'll take points off of teams that you wouldn't expect them to, and then they'll go and get beaten by like a, a promotion, a relegation rival, I should say. So It's meant a lot. Like basically, a, a, a third of their points this season has come from the top two. That's crazy, <laughs> Isn't it? Like So they've got three points uh, at home against City, one point off Leicester. They've only got 12 points so far. But you know what? I really enjoyed watching them play. <laughs> I really enjoyed the style that they play in. I can... I can understand why, having not seen them so much last season, I can understand why they stormed the, the championship. There was moments in the game yesterday which some of the passes that were being zipped around, mm. I wouldn't have been surprised if you told me De Bruyne had pulled the yellow shirt on. <laughs> and even in the last two minutes or so, they were going for it. They were going for it against Leicester. And it turns out afterwards that Timo Pukki's suspected fractured toe um, although uh, knowing a few Finnish people, that would that wouldn't bother him at all. <laughs> yeah, could, his leg could have fallen off, and he still would have been going. Um, it's a good point for Norwich, though, isn't it? Really, is against the Leicester I side mean, that's flying. T- t- let's be honest. Let's be honest. You Any know, point's if, a good yeah, point if, for Norwich. If, 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 uh, Norwich, Southampton, Villa, Watford, even Everton. 
anything like that now is really good. It's really important. Yeah, I'd agree. I totally agree with that. Right. Let's have a quick break. But before we do, should we should we make this festive this podcast up a little bit? Yeah. Um, right. I notice you've got some. Well, first of all, the lights in the Christ- the Christmas lights in the studio are dazzling. They're uh, they're all over. We've got the studio is adorned with lights. It's uh, very glamorous and shiny in here. But I've also noticed you've managed to sneak into the sports social studio some Christmas crackers. Yeah, technically this is against all regulations because they have gunpowder in. There's a like, tiny amount of gunpowder. Don't how say it's- that. <laughs> Shh. Don't say that. Um, so I'm just trying to work out what we could do with this. So what I thought was um, we we could we could take it in turns to pull the crackers. Okay. Right? And then we could say try and do this as a prediction for the Premier League. Wow, right. okay. Yeah, so we kind of go, uh, so the first one will be Liverpool, then Leicester, then Man City, right? Okay, got right. it. And so, and then whoever wins, depending what's inside the cracker, uses that to make a prediction about how well they'll do. Okay, fine. All right, okay, should we do this? Right, right so, let's move this mic over. So we'll go with, as Liverpool at the top, we'll go with Earth first of all. Okay, so fine. Three, Three, two, two one. one. Oh, it didn't, uh, it, didn't, it didn't pop. There we go. There we That's go. better. All right. You've won it, though. I've so, won. So, so th- what's your prediction for Liverpool based on what you've got? What have you got and what's the joke? Okay. So, I've got a Christmas party hat, of course, yeah. which you always get in a cracker. These pictures are going on social. I've got a toy dinosaur. Is that a velociraptor? It does look like a velociraptor. And you know what? That That is not a toy. That looks like a pendant. Like, if you could yeah, put a chain like through a that. a necklace or a key ring. Like some kind of gangster stuff. Um, what's and the then joke I bet you there'll be, there'll be a fact and a joke, I reckon, if this is... What do you get if you cross a hen with a bedside clock? An alarm cluck. Terrible. Which planet in our solar system is closest to the sun? Venus. Mercury. <sighs> Mercury's the first one from the sun. Um, dinosaur. I would say if we were talking about Watford, which I can link to because Liverpool beat Watford by two goals to nil. Dinosaur. Nigel Pearson. Is he one of those dinosaur managers? One of these managers that's uh, kind of past his sell-by date. We've seen a few of them in the Premier League over the years. There's clamour at Everton to bring in Sam Allardyce and David Moyes back. You know the gang I'm talking about. Pulis, Pardew, Moyes, Allardyce, the same old few. Roy Hodgson, some people might call him a dinosaur. Manuel Pellegrini, they might call him a dinosaur. These are managers that have been there and done it. Jurgen Klopp, I think will never become a dinosaur. I think he will be an enigma until football ends, until he retires. He's signed a new contract at Liverpool till 2024. So the dinosaur doesn't remind me of Jurgen Klopp in the way that he's a manager. I just think that until he's as old as a dinosaur, I think he'll still be relevant. That is my Liverpool prediction. I think Liverpool will win the Premier League. Uh, Okay, never mind that. I think you need a break and possibly a drink as well. I reckon so as well. Right, this is Football Social Daily. I'm going to go have a glass of water because I've waxed lyrical about Liverpool too long. Make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss another episode and we'll be back with more of the review after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Premier League Review. Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sports Social. This is the Premier League review show for a Sunday and where we're going next is Molyneux. Well, not explicitly Molyneux. Tottenham Hotspur grabbed a late winner against Wolverhampton Wanderers. The Tongans had a stoop in low into the corner was enough to secure the three points. But we're going to get a Tottenham fan's perspective. We've got Mike on the line. Mike, it's been a bit of a change, hasn't it, recently with Mourinho coming in? Um, that's that's one way of putting it. Um, yeah, Um it started off with lots of optimism. Um, then we sold Moussa Dembele and things went downhill. Um, league form plummeted. Um, we had a, a, a fairly unexpected Champions League run, which papered over an awful lot of cracks, but it was a jolly good ride nonetheless. Um, and uh, no one would have ever thought that we would have got to the Champions League final and such dramatic circumstances um, ended up being a bit of an anti-climax in the final as it happened but uh, that was the way it, it was probably always going to be that. Um, and now here we are with high hopes at the beginning of the season uh, that didn't trend that uh, that bubble quickly burst um, Pochettino I think the writing was on the wall for some time to be honest as I say the Champions League the Champions League run papered over uh, an awful lot of cracks uh, that were Clearly obvious uh, for anybody that watches Spurs for any uh, any great length of time, 
and uh, as 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 great as he has been for the club over the last five years, I think it had become apparent to anybody um, with any kind of footballing now that he had taken the club as far as he could. He, there was obviously something, some there's clearly been something wrong within the dressing room. Um, players not performing because bear in mind this team. Uh, this team two years ago was playing some of the best football in the league, um, and now that same that same team got to the Champions League final, and now this same team just got stirred, got just got turgid and stale. Um, why? That's that's the manager. That's the job of the manager. There's been yes, you can say there's an awful lot. That Daniel Levy has got to take some responsibility for not investing in the team and for his uh, behaviour in the transfer market and going in for recognised targets with derisory offers to the selling club which just annoys them and then it makes the, the whole process just get protracted a lot longer than, ne- than necessary. Look at just the La Celso deal for example this summer. Mm. Um, otherwise um, yeah but ultimately it's got Pochettino's made some very odd decisions uh, in his selections and his tactics and his changes during games Um you just look at what happened against Bayern Munich at White Hart Lane. We were two one down at half time, and but unlucky to be two one down. It was a very good, very even game. Made a very weird um, substitution in the second half. Took off, uh, and Dombele made an uh, attacking substitution, and we just got totally overrun in, over in the midfield, and ended up going down to our the, the heaviest defeat and heaviest competitive home defeat in the club's history. Um, I was there for that. It hurt. I can uh, I so can yeah. hear that in your voice right now. So yeah, let yeah. me let me ask you this: we're, we're like nine days, ten days from Christmas. Yeah. Is is there anything that Santa could bring Spurs that would make your 2020 wonderful? Um, a banking home victory against Chelsea on Sunday would be nice. <laughs> very good. What's what's Jose been like, uh, sort of as a fan, for, like watching from the side? What's Jose been like? Is like you said, Pochettino's time was probably coming to an end anyway, and yeah. you say the yeah. writing was on the wall. Has Jose added that sort of element of w- that winning mentality that everyone sort of cliche spoke about before his appointment, saying, "Oh, Jose will be the man to win Tottenham trophies." Is that sort of emanating yeah. through the stadium? Do you think? I think it's. I think it's starting to. It's starting to. There was an awful lot of scepticism amongst Spurs fans when because the, the whole when Pochettino was sacked in the evening and then Mourinho was appointed and announced in the, the following morning. Um, so there wasn't really much of a time for much speculation about who's going to be taken over because it was obviously an all, already done and sorted. Um, but when I first heard the when I first heard the news that Pochettino was was sacked, I, my instinct I thought would just go all guns blazing for Brendan Rodgers. Whatever Leicester want, give it to them. Let's get, go go for him. And then it, when it was announced that uh, that, that Mourinho was uh, was the new was the new man, um, I thought, oh right, because uh, anybody who follows <laughs> me on any social media uh, knows that I whether he was at, whether he was manager of Chelsea or Man United, I've been pretty scathing about about Mourinho over the years, and I'm not afraid to admit it. Um, and I, I thought this guy, I had a similar similar situation, a similar feeling to when George Graham took over in 1998. And I thought, this guy, yes, all right, he's won a lot of stuff. He's not a Tottenham manager. He's not a Spurs manager. And when George Graham was manager at Spurs, although he won us a trophy, he won us the Worthington Cup in 99, uh, the most common chance at White Hart Lane during his reign was we want our Tottenham back. And I thought that was the kind of thing, this is the kind of, these are the sort of days that we're going to go, be going back to. But you'll get a trophy um, though. You'll yeah. get a trophy out of it, which is all yeah, anyone that, seems to want that, Spurs to, to do. But then that's not a Spurs manager, is it? Forgive the Christmas cracker gag, but that's that's the whole point of being a Spurs team recently. I mean, well, you you what you did win a trophy in the summer though, didn't you? We won the Audi Cup, yeah. Yes. Uh, so was that the Aldi or Audi? The Al- Audi, 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 the the, the car company, yes. Um, <laughs> but the but also but also there's there's a there's a, there's a quote from Danny Blanchflower, who is one of the, the great Spurs players from the sixties, from the double winning side of sixty one, and he and it's and it's embedded in the culture of the club, and it says the game is about glory, it is about going out and beating the opposition, not boring them to death, uh, and. 
and that is that is essentially what the clubs want. We want to we want to win. Of course, we want to win stuff. Every club wants to win things, but there's a certain style about it. We don't want to be just lumping it up and, and playing negative, dull football, parking the bus and that because that's that's anti-football. That's not the kind of football that that Spurs have won of, of their historical success has been based on. There's been way it's been playing. It's about playing with a flair and playing with a flourish. And this is not what George Graham was about, and it's not what what Jose Mourinho teams have been have, have been successful. I, I, get, However, I get what you're saying. I do get what you're saying, Mike. But I'm a. I can't really sort of give any stick to Tottenham. I'm a Portsmouth fan. Tottenham are obviously twice the size of Portsmouth in terms of the the club and successes and stuff. But you know, one of the best days of my life as a football fan was when Portsmouth won the FA Cup in 2008, and it was like yeah, it was probably the worst cup final of this century. I reckon since the turn of the century, I reckon Portsmouth versus Cardiff at Wembley in 2008 was one of the worst cup finals but I don't care because it, it just the joy of winning and, and winning yeah. that trophy do you think that there are some Spurs fans maybe of a younger generation that aren't really too asked for want of a better expression about the style of play they just want to win something Yes, I, I, I completely agree with that. Yes, totally, totally. But also, what I was going, what I was going to say was that the the early impressions of Mourinho. Now, I was at Old Trafford last week when we lost two one, um, and I've always, but then also I watched most of the other games as well. Um, and there has been an improvement in the in the in the in the performances um, because what? But I think that will a lot of the players have got to take a lot of responsibility because it's all well. If these these are, this is the same set of players that this team has proved it's good enough to get to the Champions League final. We know that because they got there last season. Um, so to say that they're not good enough to do that is you know is ridiculous. But so 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 to get from there to the depths that they've plunged to at the beginning of this season, the players have got to take an awful lot of responsibility themselves. Now, Mourinho has come in and what he seems to have done, um, I mean, there's this quote that has been banded about quite a lot with Deli Ali because he's been awful so far this season until Mourinho turned up. And then he says, are you Deli or are you Deli's brother? And then Deli says, I'm Deli. Well, then go and play like Deli then. And suddenly he's been a revelation. He's been like almost like a new signing again. Um, so it seems to be that I don't know what there was clearly something going on in the in the latter days of Pochettino's reign, um, where certain players were not performing, and there was there's got a, there's clearly something else that that, that we don't know about that has, mm. that has caused that. Um, Mourinho seems to have addressed that, and a lot of those players are now playing an awful lot better. Deli Ali being the prime example, and there's also take look at the look at uh, Christian Eriksen, he's been woeful. Um, his attitude stinks, and if it was up to me, he'd never play. For, he, he wouldn't. Wow. He'd, he'd be out. He'd, I'd be. I'd get him. Get rid of. Get rid in January to whoever wants him. That's Mike's um, Christmas present. Get rid of Christian Eriksen. <laughs> That's what he wants. Get rid of Christian Eriksen. Get rid of Christian Eriksen and give Lasel, Give Giovanni Lasalso a, a, a proper run in the team because that guy. That that guy is class. He is. He yeah. is class. Well, we look, he's just not been given. He's not given a chance. Yet. We look forward to seeing what Josie does over the the festive fixtures, Mike. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate your time, mate. No problem at all, anytime. Take care. Cheers, Mike. Good to chat. Cheers. All right. So that was Mike, a Tottenham fan, chatting to us. He wants to see Christian Eriksen gone. He wants Lo Celso given a chance. Um, Wolves' great record in the Premier League of 11 games uh, unbeaten has come to an end, but they can be really proud of how they've played this season so far because, you know, it's going to happen at some point. You're going to lose a game. To lose in the 90th minute is obviously even more gutting. But um, for them to be able to juggle Europa League and Premier League the way they have... It's been really admirable, hasn't it? And they're doing well this mm. year. And bear in mind as well, like six, seven games into the season, they were still hovering. Well, they weren't just hovering; they were right in the relegation mire. Uh, more because they just couldn't win a game. Mm. They just seemed to be uh, they they couldn't get enough goals. They they couldn't actually turn it over into a win. And they've they've taken it really seriously. They've they've really gone in. I think there's a lot of attitude. Um, about the Europa League that's been very dismissive. Whether sure. it's because it hasn't got the prestige of the Champions League or because actually to be in the Europa League you have to be not quite good enough. Wait till they bring that UEFA Europa Conference in where teams that finish 8th and ninth might get a shot at European football. <sighs> oh goodness me. It's another competition. Friday night football, Wednesday night football, Thursday night football, every day. Football every day. That's the way we love it. I, um, I think there should be a relegation cup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they do in Scotland where the top of the top of the second division plays the bottom of the the first division they have a little playoff to see oh, who really? goes up yeah so right. if you get relegated you might not actually go down that would be certainly wow. a spanner in the works wouldn't it um what would be a spanner in the works uh, is if Watford would have beaten Liverpool yesterday in the early kickoff they didn't they lost 2-0 and before we talk about Liverpool and are Watford down 
are they doomed? Is that game over for them? <laughs> losing, to, There's no shame in losing to Liverpool. No. Nope. They're on a ridiculous run. And I'm not saying that they should have got something out of the game because I'm not saying that at all. That's f- f- couldn't be further from the truth. But the more games they lose, uh, and some of the football we saw, you know, Ishmael Assar miss kicking the ball, and it's just, oh my goodness. Right, let's just stop for a second. That team yesterday looked like Watford from nine months ago. Yeah. Um, even better in some respects. It looked like a completely different team. It looked like the kind of team that you would see finishing the top seven, top eight of the Premier League at the end of the season and get into an FA Cup final. And they, they, we've seen several times this season, despite their dominance, Liverpool look vulnerable. Liverpool look half asleep sometimes. Liverpool just... But they the, keep winning. Gaps. Yeah, they, they do. They do. And, and maybe it's a confidence thing. And that came through so much because... I, whatever you think about Nigel Pearson, he's had more of an impact in that one game than Flores and Gracia did the whole season. Because obviously you also had Troy Deeney's back in the mix as well and he's a big presence to have on there. But honestly, the the, the movement, the, the way they were playing, the confidence, they were a real threat going forward. The only problem was, was when it got to the strikers. And I think that's simply down to the fact that they've probably not had the ball at their feet all season because that's the way it looked like. You know, they've only scored nine goals the whole season and whenever it came to them, it ju- they just kept fluffing it. And interestingly enough, there was... Um, it, was it was actually awkward to watch. It was. It was embarrassing to see Saar yeah. miskick the ball. Yeah, like that. but then did you did you notice the second of Salah's goals, which was set up by Origi, and I've watched that seven times now and I still don't know whether Origi fakes it and dummies a pass to him or if he miskicks it, but just because Liverpool are on this run of good fortune and, and luck, it just squirms to, to you, Salah to score. You can't be 30-odd games unbeaten in classes all lucky. Like I just don't no, buy no, this No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, like, you build your own luck. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Um, Liverpool are top of the Premier League table. Mohamed Salah scored twice again. Uh, he's kind of been a little bit quiet the last few months. Good to have him back at a crucial period. Oh, mate, mate those, those two goals he scored yesterday, like... It, it was those kinds of moments where you went, you know what? You don't have to do anything else in the rest of the game, right? Yeah, you've done because your bit. Just, just those. And it's just sublime. And it was, what came to me about that was that's somebody who is, you hear this sometimes, you say people, and it sounds really away with the fairies a little bit, but expressing himself, really enjoying what he's doing and expressing himself and having the confidence and and, and enjoying the football to be able to like do those little turns, mm. do the little back heel. And he had and a just, shot with his right foot and it went oh, in. And, and, and what a sh- it was very similar to the Jesus goal yeah. against Burnley. Just that wonderful... The way it just ripples. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and also just... just the, 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 yeah, there was something really satisfying about those kind of curve across goal shots when they go in because you can just see it just being the arc of the ball just being out of the reach of the keeper and then curving back in. It's just beautiful. It's a beautiful thing in football. And and the little turns that he's done, there was a moment as well, like, again, because of his stature and his build, I've never thought this before, but there was a moment in the game where I thought, oh, looks a bit like Maradona there. Oh, no, don't start. We can't start that. We can't no, start no, that. Just... We'll have Steve McNaughton and all the other Liverpool fans on the podcast saying that Salah's the new Maradona. No, I just, we can't the, start the, that. The, That's the, a kettle of the, fish. There was a moment, and it was just, I couldn't even explain it, but it was like the way he moved his body, a little turn, and it was Maradona-esque. Wow. Okay. Well, that's high praise from Ant. Indeed. Sure, we're talking about Liverpool. Should we pull another, another Christmas cracker? Yeah. All right. Come on see. then. Because I, the, you pull this one as well. So okay. I'll go. do left-handed. Ready. Okay, Three, two, one. one. And again, I lost again. All right. You can do this one. Okay, then. Right, I'm so feeling. See. I'm feeling Christmassy. Right. So this is. Uh, did you do for Leicester? Uh, we haven't no, done Leicester you, yet. You, no. Yeah. So you did Liverpool's prediction. All right. This is. Uh, we've got a hat. This doesn't seem to be any. Well, it's because it's just fallen onto my side of the desk, and you wouldn't believe what it is. It's a. It's a dinosaur. For a but minute, then it's another dinosaur. But interestingly, it's a different colour. So, what colour was yours? Mine was purple. Yours is orange. So, are we saying that you know, Leicester so orange, and Liverpool, they're the they're the same. But well, no, different. I think so. Orange that that shows. I'm instantly thinking of the Dutch Van Dijk and Wijnaldum. Wijnaldum's out injured now, isn't he? Picked up an injury the other day. That could be an interesting thing. Does that mean there's an injury coming for? Uh, oh, and look, the colour of the hat as well. Is oh. also orange, so maybe that could be. Or does that mean they're going to get a Dutch side? That's weird because my hat was red, the same colour as Liverpool. This uh. is all a little bit creepy. This uh, right, anyway. Okay, so this is for we're doing this one for Leicester now, aren't we? Go on, yeah, Leicester so. City. Right. Yeah. Uh, so what what do snowmen wear on their heads? Don't know. Quite like this one, ice caps. Oh, for God's sake! Um, 
And then the the fact, uh, who wrote a Christmas Carol? Charles Dickens. Hey, well done me, well done me. Um, Leicester, second place sewn up, or Manchester City going to storm back? <laughs> you know what? It, it it seems done and dusted because let let's be honest here, right? Liverpool ten points clear of Leicester, so for that gap to be closed, at some point in half a season, right? Liverpool will have to lose a quarter of their games. And Leicester will have to maintain a hundred percent record. That's what we're talking about. Wow, that's that's exact. That when you break it down, that's what we're talking. For City to come in and do that, Liverpool will have to lose a third, of, or at least drop points in a third of their games. It's not going to happen, is right? It? A third of their games, and City have to maintain a hundred percent record. It's not going to happen. I think you're right, and I'm probably going to agree. And, with you and on the that thing one. was, like, but let's bear in mind, in previous seasons, not last year, the year before, at this point, City's lead. Um, was about the same, and everybody gave it to City. But no one's won a Premier League title from this far behind before, so that's all I'm going to say. Uh, a couple of games to go through still. Let's go to St Mary's, Southampton, nil West Ham United. One, if Southampton can't beat a struggling West Ham side at home, they really are in trouble. And I'm not just taking glee at saying that because I am a Portsmouth fan. It's just simply because I think it's a fact. West Ham have been terrible. They managed to win 1-0. Seb Allaire with the goal, which is crucial for West Ham. Mate, but, um, I've had such a good fantasy weekend as well. Really? De Bruyne as captain, Alaire as well. Oh, the only one that let me down was Aubameyang, but I didn't mind because he didn't score against us. Aubameyang was my captain, um, and he let me down, unfortunately. So, <coughs> um, excuse me. Southampton nil, West Ham one. Now, Southampton, in, in, in my in my view, were lucky to stay up last season. Um, I think I, I I can't remember exactly, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I tipped them to be in the mix for for going down this season. They're they're going to have a very difficult start to the new year. They're really going to struggle to get in there. Hassan Hutal, they seem to have complete confidence in him. It's this weird thing where like a few weeks ago, you would have thought he's the next person to go, but you kind of get the feeling now that whatever happens, he might make it to the end of well, the season. Well, they've got Aston Villa next week, who lost 2-0 to Sheffield United, and we'll talk about both of those sides finally in yeah, a bit. They're level on points. But if they don't beat Aston Villa next week, then really that is, that's danger. So basically, the difference between them is that thumping they got off Leicester City. That's that's what affects the goal they, difference. They genuinely might be relegated on goal difference because they lost 9-0 to Leicester. Um, what about West Ham then? Good win for them. Much needed win. Um, after another abject performance last week, West Ham came flying back with yeah, a victory. Had they not got that, um, Pellegrini would have been out. I think that was the general consensus. Um, I think al- that it might be, might not be too long before he goes. Yeah. Anyway, although, although, although I think he may be the new Marco Silva in that for it's not just the writings on the wall it's on the ceiling it's on the floor <laughs> it's, it's everywhere on the doors. Yeah. it's everywhere you can't escape it um, uh, Aston Villa though they lost 2-0 to Sheffield United as we've just been saying um, I think Aston Villa really missed they missed so many good chances against Sheffield United Sheffield United again showing that they can mix it with pretty much every team in the league I don't think Sheffield United have been handsomely beaten this season at all they've really been competitive in every game I think Chris Wilde has been brilliant but as for Aston Villa like I mean, again, that goes boils down to that game against Southampton next week. Such a crunch game for them. You know what? They're sitting in seventh in the Premier League. I know they got as high as fifth, but they're sitting seventh at the minute, and it doesn't look weird for them to be there. I know they they probably it, deserve it. Well, they do deserve. And, and it. table you know, doesn't lie. The the interesting thing that you said there, the word cliche, team, the table word, doesn't lie. Well, yeah, okay. So it's all about teams, and 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 I honestly think there's, there's been a transition in football, and and in this decade, we've seen a change, and this is my perspective that we've gone from superstars to teams and super teams and mm. what you've got a perfect comparison there in, in in that game you've got Aston Villa who've got a core of players like the likes of Grealish that that got them up last last season but then they've also spent a lot of money and brought players in and tried <laughs> to integrate them well Sheffield United they're all sort of yeah you got Chris Wilder players, basically yeah. they're a lot of the players that are in there were at the bottom of league 1 yeah agreed yeah no, and, that's and, accurate. And, yeah. and and so they've been together. And you know what? I think sometimes this is something that because because we have to have that instant success, I think that threat of relegation, that threat of failure, all those things can sometimes really bring a team together. It doesn't always happen because obviously look at what happened to Watford in the FA Cup and the season that they've had so far. But a prime example of that, we've already talked about Nigel Pearson. Nigel Pearson and the work he did at Leicester and Leicester would just avoided relegation the season before they won the Premier League. 
And I wonder if that was part of what made... No, but honestly, because... But he got shipped out, though, didn't he, Pearson? And Ranieri yeah. came in. But the, but in terms of the squad, it was the players on the pitch that that won that, that went on and won that. I, I think there is something that unites people as a team. When you go through a defeat, it's everybody's fault. When you win, you can go, well, I scored the goal. So it's, it's, it's you know... I, I see what you're I, saying. Anyway, whereas, I don't think Wilder takes any nonsense either. As a manager, I think he's I think he's absolutely spot on. Um, what about Sean Dyche? He's often known to complain. He's up against uh, Steve Bruce this weekend, and Burnley beat Newcastle one 0 And what was a miserable day at Turf Moor? Um, I was up in that part of the world as well yesterday, and uh, weather's yeah, been awful. It, it's this been weekend. absolutely terrible in the northwest, freezing cold. But you know what? Stones. I bet you he loved it. I bet I there bet was. You, I bet I there bet was still three thousand Geordies with their shirts off in the away end, uh, even though their side lost by a goal to nil. Um, this is bottom of the billing in terms of the games that we're covering off on this podcast, just purely because it's one of those Burnley versus Newcastle. It's just not a particularly fashionable game. I don't think anyone was too bothered who won or lost this. The permutations for the rest of the league weren't massive. It's just one of those, really, and Burnley got the job done with a big set piece. A lot of Newcastle fans were saying, though, that it's frustrating watching Burnley because they just smash the ball long all the time. Mm. But it seems to work for Sean Dyche. But then, you know, it's been uh, it's been a good couple of weeks for Newcastle, uh, and, and people are starting to sort of step back. And I I was one of them. I I joined the bandwagon of slating Steve Bruce, but actually he, he's managed to get them. That this having lost to Burnley, they're still uh, one place ahead of them in the league, one point ahead. Mm. Um, they were on for three wins in a row. Uh, Burnley were on for four defeats in a row, so it was obviously more important for them to get that victory. Um, I think considering the wobble that they had last season, um, that was put down to the Europa League. I, I don't know if that was all that. Yeah, I don't know. I think Burnley is just one of those teams. They win some, they lose some, much like Palace, much yeah, like Bournemouth, the, like yeah. I was saying before. They finish where they finish. They're just one of those teams. They've they've never been fashionable. They've never been special. They just do what they do to stay up. Yeah, having been torn apart by Manchester City recently as well, I think it was a really good result for them to get mm. against Newcastle, who also drew against City. So yeah, yeah. One Christmas present, football based. Get rid of grit VAR. I know you can't because it's halfway for a season. It wouldn't be fair, but that would be my wish. I don't, uh, uh... Give me my give me my present in May, the end of the season. Just as long as you tell me that VAR's gone, I'll be happy. I'll be happy. And with that exhale that Ant's just given us, that is the end of the podcast for today. Thank you very much, Ant. Thanks for sticking around, chatting football with me for a bit. Thank you, Now It's um, been fun. It has been fun. This has been Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast you can find seven days a week. News and opinion on the best league in the world, the Premier League. So hit subscribe if you've not before, then you'll never miss an episode if you do that. So wherever you find your podcast, you'll get the latest episode straight to your device. So make sure you go and do that. Also follow us on Twitter at The Sports Social. Keep an ear out over Christmas as well because we've got some special festive podcasts lined up for you too. I've been Niall, that's been Ant. Thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.